in a world where the will of the ruling class is the law that rules all, where the freedom to speak ever was. Only one worker Teddy and his comrade Mommy can utter the truth. He is Nackers. She's the Vag. This September, they'll win the last war, which is class war. And your heart. It's Nackers and the Vag. Welcome, comrade. Welcome to what? Welcome to what looks set to become the inaugural award winner in the Asia-Pacific Region Prize for the least monetizable podcast. Knackers, knackers, knackers. And the vag, vag, vag. I'm the vag. I'm the mandatory, adorable, somewhat sensual girl half of this chipper boy-girl partnership that is the breakfast radio program waking you up to the new Red Dawn. This is Knackers. He is a bear, a stuffed bear. Stuffed with what? What's on his insides? The tears of the child enslaved to make him in a factory of the global South Sea. It's Peppy. So why have I got a bear here? Well, here I am on my own. Um, What's in this show? May as well ask, what's not in this jam-packed episode? What there is not is much patience. I'm a little confused today. Honestly, this is a therapy session for me. If you're willing to abide, stick around. If you're not, send me an email. Say, Helen, you do go on. HelenBadHostess.com. You're essentially just talking to yourself. Yes, to remind me that you and I are speaking I look into the eyes of this bear stuffed with tears and I think of you. Not that you're a bear stuffed with tears, although I'm sure that there's some despondency on the inside. And he's also here to make me shut up because I do go on. So that's why the bear's here. Why you're here is anybody's guess. Is it because you want to diagnose the current sickness? You mother, get up, come on, get down with the sickness. Um, I don't recall that song very well, but I think it is about um, affirming sickness in, um, you know, teen nihilistic style. We're not affirming sickness. We're not postmodernists. No, we're, you know, we're like house, right? We're trying to diagnose the illness. Do we know what it is? And can we tell the difference between the symptom of an illness and the cause of the illness itself? Like, okay, so this might sound batshit crazy, but you try to tell me that you're not feeling like the approach toward some end, that there's not some hard limit approaching, or you don't feel things falling apart. It could just be a sense. Um, It could be that your own life is falling apart, that you're in reduced circumstances. Or if you're, you know, pretty young, it could be, uh, no, this is not what you promised me. You told me to feel empowered and I could do anything 
and I could especially do anything if I spent 17 years at university doing really specialty vocational study because people with tertiary degrees, they always make money, you poor fucking millennials, shoved into university year after year in the hope of getting what, you know, perhaps um, some contract work in the area of your study. But what if you studied for a vocation that doesn't actually exist by the time you get out? You know, um, millennials, Gen Zs, you're caught in a weird time. You, you really are. And you certainly, especially, you know, Gen Zs might feel like there's no adults around. Well, there's not, right? I mean, okay, so there's not a parental authority in the society. Um, in the society. <laughs> it just sounded like the world's worst sociology teacher there. In society. Speaking of sociologists, okay, so another way to describe um, this sense of things falling apart is Anomi, um, and I, it was the great sociologist, Emil Durkheim, who popularised this term, and uh, I think it first appeared in a book that he wrote in the late 19th century on suicide. Okay, yeah, fun, fun breakfast radio. That's right, knackers, knackers, knackers. Um, so Anomi is, translates as, um, you know, without a norm, like um, uh, there is no norm, there is no social norm, social cohesion is somehow falling apart and people have strange res responses and you, you may have experienced this somebody you feel you know quite well has changed suddenly um perhaps they've become extraordinarily sentimental and see that joy and individual good feeling is the only way to beat things or perhaps they've become very racist very nativist blaming the single mothers or whatever, looking anywhere that is possible for a way to explain the fact that authority, you know, a sense of stability seems to have gone. No parents. The kids are in charge. And some of the kids are embedding themselves in joy. Okay, look, I'm going on again and again like the world's worst sociology teacher, um, which I actually am here on Knackers in the Vag in the morning, the morning of a bright new dawn where things are falling apart. And oh me, one way to explain it, another guy called Carl Polanyi explains it in his book from the middle of the 20th century, The Great Transformation, a book that I reckon is probably going to get a second uh, go soon. Um, and he describes this double movement. So his thesis is that when the market intrudes on the life of the people in the society where the market is. And remember, we have a global market now. W what occurs then is a, a response or a, a double movement. The, the, the life of the society tries to reassert itself and it might try in a number of ways. And one of those ways can be fascism. Another way is oh, you know, this thing called socialism that I've heard about. So that is um, a fully conscious response where you attempt to understand the sickness and you can differentiate between the symptoms and the cause. What's the cause? The cause is history, which is confusing because it's much more fun to blame Donald Trump, isn't it? But sentimentality 
is interesting to think of as a response. And um, I found this when the royal wedding was on and we are going to get to a, a bright entertainment news story involving the sexiest of all royal couples ever and the fun hip-hop history musical for wonks who just love America, which has always been great, except now when there's Donald Trump, it was like great, 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 right up until that point, then it all went south, right? This is the view that you can read in the paper. This is the view that a lot of people have because, and I understand it, you know, um, the double movement, um, anomie or anomie or whatever it is, I can't pronounce things. So I was looking at this when the the royal wedding was on and I have this real sense of there being a division between, well, many divisions obviously. So there's the people who long for what they imagine was the recent past, right, like your liberal progressive and then there's the people who long for what they imagine is a long ago past, like the Trump type. And in both cases, it's a, it's a past that never existed, right? Obama, very seductive speaker. The seduction of his deceit is extraordinary. Like still, I see the guy on TV and I immediately forget that he deported between two or three million people from you know, the USA, while changing the language, while booting them out of his country, he changed the language and he urged us to call these people not illegals but undocumented all the time, like building up the infrastructure of ICE to make the very conditions that see the deportation by Donald Trump occur, right? I mean, and it got so silly, it was to the point that there was a picture of a, of, of a kid with big eyes sewing a bear. No, not sewing a bear, in a cage, right? Turned out that the picture of the child in a, in a cage, and, you know, make mo- no mistake, there are children in cages in the present, but there were children in cages in 2014 under Obama, who used nicer language to describe it. Okay, but we want to get sentimental, right, if we're, this is part of a, individuals double movement you know to get very sentimental to maybe get sentimental um and feel inspired by Hamilton in a political way I mean enjoy Hamilton by all means and um Miranda you know seems like a really nice guy created a lot of employment but does that make Hamilton an accurate or even an evocative story about the foundation of the USA. We'll just get to that. But um, so there's this guy, Christopher Cordwell, that was his pseudonym, only lived to the age of 30. And um, I discovered this writing and researching about, you know, thinking why is the media, the media, uh, why are people in power um, apparently, you know, so newly devoted, especially in, 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 in my nation, Australia, where, you know, these people, these progressives would have formerly been all for a republic and like, you know, sniffing at the royals. But we love Meghan Markle because, you know, she represents modernization. You know, um, yeah, whatever, whatever. She's a woman of colour. This is fantastic. But I just I found the sentiment and the devotion to 
providing these really elaborate descriptions of a royal wedding with some kind of like intellectual basis, like this is good for us all and this is good for all women, like, you know, and this will stop racism. Like, it's a fucking whatever, right? But I wanted to understand why are people in love with this moment and especially people in the media who are the people who tend to say, well, you know, we should just go back to the way things were five minutes ago before Trump came and did big shit on it, right? So he writes... Um, and this man knew fascism firsthand because he was fighting it in Spain and I think he died um, driving an ambulance um, uh, for those wounded by uh, Franco's fascist forces. And um, uh, did I get that right? I don't know. I don't know anything about the Spanish Civil War. So he says, and I won't elaborate on this because Knackers is telling me to and, um, you know, maybe get on with things and get to my tight and bright stories, he says, the misery of the world is economic, but that does not mean that it is cash. The misery of the world is economic, but that does not mean that it is cash. It's a very nice sentence. Might take a day or two before it strikes you again and you'll think, okay, so I understand the influence of the economy in our lives. So what he's saying here, also in times of mass deprivation or the fear that you know, your livelihood is threatened, which is your very survival, he says we turn vainly to religion, hate, patriotism, fascism. We become neurotic, unhappy, sick, liable to mass hatreds like war, anti-Semitism, to mad impossible loyalties to Hitler's. But then, then he also mentions the other response that I felt that I'd detected, which was to the sentimentality of films and novels and performances, and you, you say, oh, well, this sentimental moment is so moving that it will change the world. And, you know, people make this claim for um, the piece by the now world-famous uh, Australian comic Hannah Gadsby called Nanette, Right. This will change the world. This will save lives. This is new. Um, no, it won't change the world. Uh, might make a few kids feel better, but mostly I reckon it makes straight people feel better about how well they know homosexuals now. As far as it being new, well, you haven't seen any queer performance and you haven't seen any comedy. So the, senten the sentimentality of films and novels, we, we start to believe in the power of these things and hide ourselves in these things. And the reason that I found it, okay, I'm getting there, knackers, I've already been going on too long, um, absurd and pathetic royal jubilee enthusiasms. Because I was just sort of looking for some, you know, somebody to explain the resurgence of interest in the royals who were sort of trying to, you know, okay, I'm sure Harry and Meghan are in love. Harry and Meghan, um, uh, uh, but, you know, let's not say for a minute that um, the royal propaganda machine, uh, which needs to exist in case somebody realises that, what was it, um, £250,000 worth of cladding would have saved the lives of those who died in the Grenfell Towers. And, you know, so people might get angry and go to this symbolic site of great power and tear it all down. So, of course, they need to modernise if they want to exist. It is in their self-interest. And we began to talk about this in a very serious way. And I thought also a very sentimental way that, that, that joy and love and hope will protect us 
oh, don't be a bitch, Helen, give yourself up to the moment. And I'm like, well, I'm feeling normalist. Didn't we used to agree that the royal family were a bunch of cynical fuckers and have been for some time? And didn't you watch The Crown? Um, I only saw the fourth season. Uh, first uh, season, I enjoyed it very much, especially the episode where they had all the frocks that she'd wear. That was lovely. Um, so, so this is a headline that the, I mean, there's no real kind of like intellectual basis for it, but it's presented on on multiple media just as a statement of fact, and that is that in recent days, the Duchess of Sussex and Prince Harry attended a performance of Hamilton in London. And do you know what happened? Oh my goodness. Accidentally, the Duchess of Sussex gave away her pet name for Harry, which was my love. Isn't that charming? Isn't that delightful? Yes, in one sense, but why the fuck are you reporting it? Why is this getting reproduced? Because they were at a performance of Hamilton, right? And they had this intimate connection, a woman of colour and a colourless fucking guy who used to wear a Nazi uniform for, gosh, she redeemed him, man. No longer a bad boy, but a man tamed, right, Um, by his connection with America, blah, 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 and this, um, you know, sassy lady who who wear, you know, she dresses like a business lady, um, which is quite interesting. She doesn't dress like a royal that I've seen before. And, you know, if you're thinking that there is no decision-making here, well, you're wrong. I mean, they're primarily a visual object. They don't talk a lot, do they? They stand there and they look like things, you know, and now they're looking like the future. And how can you not be moved, Helen? How can you not see that women of colour have come so far? I mean, well, I don't know, because like most of the people and women in the world who have the shittest deal are still women of colour and you know, could probably say that they have the shittest deal and I, I don't know how a princess's dream fulfilled, although she's not a princess. Um, she's a duchess. Oh, fuck, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Duchess Helen. No, I'm joking. Smash all power systems. Um, <laughs> um no, no, I don't want any power. I'm not attracted by those. Tra- sh- yes, there was this real impatience, right? Like, why aren't you being sentimental? Can't you enjoy anything? Can't you even enjoy the musical Hamilton, right? Um, so I listened to the Hamilton mixtape because people were just saying that it was fantastic, right? And I didn't know it wasn't like hip-hop that I was familiar with and no, it wasn't because I was surprised that hip-hop all of a sudden was so literate. I mean, have you heard The Last Poets? Have you heard Public Enemy? Actually, lately, like, you know, going back more than, well, nearly 30 years, have you heard NWA? Like, at the time, for some reason, I mean, I loved them, but I thought – that, and I mean, Dre's production stands up. But, you know, I thought that they would, might have become a bit of a novelty act and they wouldn't stand the test of time like the very great public enemy. I, I just sort of had that sense that they were very of the moment. But you know what? Fuck the police still sounds very good and it's an extraordinary lyric and very intelligent. I would say perhaps not Chuck D level, but 
and if you've not heard Public Enemy, you must rectify that. Um, so it wasn't that, oh my goodness, hip-hop's never been so intelligent. Hip-hop has a very long history of being profoundly literate with texts I haven't read and should get around to at some point, but who's got time when they're busy making terrible podcasts? That's right, knackers. But Hamilton, okay, like I'm even terrified. A few weeks ago, I wrote a critique of the Netflix special Nanette, which was not really about, which I made quite plain, Nanette itself, but it was about the reaction to Nanette saying that it was new, that this will change lives, and just sort of like wanting to challenge this sentimentality when I have a particular view that feeling great surges of joy and feeling as though something has been done is in fact, as Cordwell described it, uh, well, you know, it's a response to anime. It's it's sort of trying to find um, maybe a norm again um, through being joyous and like fuck joy, you know. I mean, if you get to experience it, fantastic, but joy in itself is not a solution. It's not a strategy for changing the world. Hamilton is kind of a strategy for changing the world of history. And I heard these lyrics and, okay, so they appealed to a lot of wonks and a lot of people who said that they were American history buffs. And I don't really know a lot about the um, American bourgeois revolution, but I did hear about this thing called slavery, right? And there didn't seem to be too many references and, honestly, I the music for Hamilton is not my style and um, so – I didn't uh, appreciate it, perhaps, and, and and didn't listen as carefully as I might. Um, but this uh, person, Alex Nichols, who's writing in Current Affairs, did currentaffairs.org, a very fine journal, listened to it and, um, you know, counted the references to slavery, which are scant. And people, of course, about Hamilton are saying, well, this will change the world because this is you know, diversity and we're telling the story of American history as a diverse one. Okay, so strange, right, in that I didn't know, but this Hamilton person was the Secretary of the Treasury. And so he was in charge of the Treasury, like an influential economist. And how was America's great wealth established? on the backs of people construed as property. And so slaves, um, black people, people taken and made into property. And so ask yourself, what came first, the racism or, this, or, or the slavery? Is the act of putting people in chains, which has done be, been done before in history and is done but not named as such in many of the factories of the world? You know, who knows how Knackers was made. I don't want to, like, traumatise him with my microaggressions. But are there microaggressions of omission in Hamilton when the only slave named is, um, uh, was it um, Sally, uh, the woman who was possibly raped by Thomas Jefferson and bore him children? And... Oh, look, I'm just trying to get to the the good part of the quote in which um, Nicholson looks at the work of several 
um, early American historians, and I'm going to have to do a find on page here. I'm very sorry about this because I know it's all been go, go, go and and seamless and you're accustomed to a high level of professionalism here on uh, knackers, knackers, knackers and the vag, vag, vag. Okay, so um, early American historian uh, Lyra um, uh, Montiero observes that unless one listens carefully to the lyrics of Hamilton, which do mention slavery a handful of times, one could easily assume that slavery did not exist in this world. And then Nichols goes on to say, um, as I did rather more um, pathetically before, the foundation of the 18th century economic system was the vicious practice that defined the lives of countless black men and women. And you know what? It's confined to the odd lyrical flourish here and there. So the, the, the history of the royal family is rewritten for the present. And the history of the USA is also rewritten for the present uh, in Hamilton. And there were very specific things that occurred to lay the foundation for the USA and you can keep telling yourself, if you will, that these are all great principles, but these were not free men and women. <sighs> these were people held as property, and these were the workers that delivered profit that ended up being the power of a few. And, you know, so an act of, you know, land theft, many acts of it, and, and, ma and massacre established the, the territory, which became the United States of America, which was, you know the story. You, you know the story of American slavery. And you know some of it, at least. How can it not exist? How can there be no slave character? Okay, so it's not up to Lynn Miranda. And it's not up to Meghan Markle. And it's not the responsibility of these people to transform the world to my liking. But I know that they're not, they're not going to. The problem that I see is that there are those who become so attached to this sentimental or, or joyous reaction that anybody who disturbs it is seen as an enemy. You know, why are you so cynical? Don't you understand joy? Don't you understand that to make art from the heart is the greatest fit? Fuck off. Of course I want art, right? What's that quote I love from Walter Benjamin? Walter Benjamin, uh, knackers. The history of, what is it? The history has always been, um, history has always been um, the fight for the crude and material things of life, without which no spiritual and refined things could exist. So if we can't eat, and if we're in chains, if our lives are misery and are spent in some form of alienated hell, then what's the point of better representation? What's the point of rewriting history when all it does is excuse or make invisible the conditions of the present. So to say, hey, America could have been founded by a diverse cast of founding 
fathers and mothers and people with other identities. Well, what then? No, it was formed by putting people into particular classes, freemen and slaves, patrician and plebeian, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, Uber driver and Uber, the history of all existing. Hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggle, okay? It's not just the history, of course, that there's this culture and, of course, these things inform the way we think, but without the crude material things. And if people are still enslaved, people are still in chains, and most of them are brown, what difference does Meghan Markle make? What difference does Hamilton make? I'm not saying that it should make any difference at all, but the overwhelming belief that it can and does make a difference and we're saving lives, you're fucking not. You're fucking not and you're not saving a life by calling on the recent past of pre-Trump, of John McCain and lauding him here in Australia as a war hero. You know, we have a history with Vietnam. Don't you know, don't you have anybody in your family? Don't you know any Vietnamese people? The American invasion of that nation was abhorrent. The effect that it had on many Australian men was abhorrent. You must have somebody around you that's still feeling the reverberations of that war. We'll do, you know, I mean, in some way or another because it was a major event. And, hey, the USA lost, um, which seems to be a fact eclipsed by time, but not so much as the many facts of John McCain's life, which included him calling his wife a C-word in public of him saying that he will hate the the G's, that offensive slur for Vietnamese people, until he dies, so he's dead. Okay, one less racist in the world. So that was in the year 2000. In the year 2011, there were wildfires in Arizona, what we hear in Australia called bushfires. I think they call them wildfires over there and you know, there's all these anomalous climate weather events. And so the proud Arizona senator, the bipartisan maverick who always listened to great ideas. No, he fucking didn't. He listened to Lockheed Martin, you know, Lockheed Martin, who's female power. You go girl feminist CEO issued a press release saying, we're so sorry to learn of John McCain's death. Yeah, you lost a great advertisement for your cause of death because make no mistake, John McCain was not humbled by the shame of Vietnam, a war in which we should never have been involved, a war the only good result of which it gave so much life to the black power movement, right? I mean, you know, and remember, have you ever seen this? You know, Muhammad Ali saying uh, that he objected to Vietnam because why would I want to go over there and and kill another dark-skinned brother or sister? And, you know, this was an explicit, intelligent, 
absolutely politically conscious understanding, not just by the more radical black power movements or, or Nation of Islam or the very great Malcolm X. This was understood by Dr. Martin Luther King as well. And in fact, in his final years, he was very unpopular because his two causes toward the end of his life were opposing the war in Vietnam and opposing poverty. He thought the opposition to poverty would be the next great social movement. And no one wanted to hear it. You know that he was uh, assassinated at a union action? He was. And so this is some of the good that came from Vietnam, that solidarity that ha happened in, you know, black internationalist and nationalist movements, both, right, in the USA and all over the world. But so much bad came out of that thing. And Henry Kissinger, the man responsible, you know, the man you could say is responsible for the gold crisis, but we could go there, we won't. Oh, my God, I go on. I'm sorry, knackers. So Henry Kissinger is invited to Congress, right? And Code Pink, great group, right? They're just like uh, tireless anti-war protesters. And we, we don't remember to protest war anymore. War's okay. I've heard people you know, in this time of enemy where we feel very separate from each other who defend US interventions as humanitarian and who will look at you and say what Hillary Clinton did in Libya was good for Libya because Gaddafi was a monster. Okay, not a guy in my all-time top ten uh, dictators I would love to tongue-bathe. Absolutely not. But the people on which he was enacting so-called massacre, were Islamist fundamentalists of the same groups that we in the West were killing and supposed to be opposed to. Because what's worse than jihadism, you know, the USA, Hillary Clinton as state secretary. And so you get people saying, oh, well, Gaddafi had to go. But, okay, so the Libyan people before the invasion of, of Libya they enjoyed the highest standard of living, the typical standard of living on the continent of, of Africa. And this is no defence of Gaddafi at all. But it's to say, how, how did you, my comrade, get to this point where you're rationalising an act of war because she's a woman and you don't want to seem like a sexist? And it's okay that a play absolutely ignores the role that men and women played in building fucking reparations, man. You know, if you really want to... Anyway, there needs to be reparations paid, as there does here in Australia. Um, actually, no, there just needs to be internationalism. But, y you know, all right, so, yes, knackers, I'm sorry. I'm tired and I'm a little distressed that my nation is cheering this mediocre cheerleader for war and saying that he was a great man and saying that when he called Code Pink, who were protesting the honouring of Henry Kissinger, who killed Brown brothers and sisters en masse, and they protested and they said, you know, we don't want you here. And he called them scum. He called them low-life scum. 
And um, so this is the man that you're saying uh, was bipartisan and always knew the facts. And you yourself, you don't want to acknowledge the facts of war because it's inconvenient to your project of diversity. And this is not to in any way critique the need that all people have to be involved in whatever productive way they would like. This is not by any means to say that racism and sexism are not the true problems, you know, not even symptoms but problems in themselves. What it is to say don't use brown bodies, don't use my fucking history of feminism, don't use queer, don't use disability social movements, the social model of disability, don't use those people to gloss over the fact that power remains unchanged and that America was never great, cannot be great again, or is not, as was said today at McCain's funeral by his daughter, still great. Fuck, it's not. Life is shit there for the many. For the few, you know, maybe they can't see it. But for the many, it's bad. John McCain, mediocre man, never became the president that daddy expected him to be. And there is slavish commentary today in Australia about how this was a great man. And please, we have to do what the USA tells us in terms of foreign relations, right? You know, uh, we offer military aid. We adhere to their trade arrangements and we don't say shit because we die without them, right? That's the arrangement. But do we have to celebrate it? And do we have to celebrate one of its mediocre architects of war, that neocon scum, and I'm sorry he got cancer and I'm sorry he was imprisoned, John McCain? Like, do we have to join the chorus? And can't we critique power? And can't we say that with power itself, there is a problem. Who said that? Julian Assange. Not always in a way that I have liked and is construed as a sexist because it had, he had it in for Hillary Clinton, right? And sure, he probably did. But, you know, to be fair, she did say she wanted him dead. And if you think that the USA are not going to extradite him from the UK, and if you think that he's not going to get much more of the treatment that the very brave Chelsea Manning did, you're deluded. Do you remember Chelsea in 2010? She was held in detention while awaiting military trial for like 35 charges, most of them espionage. At some points she faced the death penalty she tried in detention and under the torture conditions of solitary confinement to take a life. Fortunately, she lives and is who in every way she should be still defying power, defying the bullshit power of, oh, you know, you have to be this, this, this identity and not what you feel comfortable with, what helps you get through, right? And she actually enacts freedom of speech and speaks against surveillance. So her video, Collateral Murder, was one of many files she allegedly 
uploaded to WikiLeaks. Remember, when you give something to WikiLeaks, you're anonymized. So WikiLeaks on purpose can't know where it came from, right? So it's, you know, like secure drop or whatever. So this is to, it's like, it's not even a matter of I'm a brave journalist um, protecting my source. It's like, I can't know who the source is. So Julian Assange is not out of detention. And no, he was never charged with rape. He's on a warrant for arrest related to, look, okay, look it up. I fucking can't even be bothered. But I'm happy that so many of you have been bothered to ask the Australian government to not be ridiculous fucks and let Chelsea in, let her in to speak, let her in to speak about freedom, let her in to speak about trans issues. And, you know, I know know that there were people who were going to go to a particular queer event who just wanted to fucking say thank you and I love you and you're amazing. And by the way, you look fucking good in that orange lipstick. Not many ladies can carry it off, right? But can we take something from the Australian government's decision not to let this woman who allegedly gave to WikiLeaks a visual record of war, which we now see on the internet in the the form of collateral murder, right? So we really see what these militarised systems can do and what the US military turns out on purpose, what it makes people into and how it takes civilian lives, how it takes the lives of journalists. And citizen journalist, one of her many stellar achievements, Chelsea Manning, may or may not have, look, all right, as a defendant she said that she did, but there was very, okay, knackers, what I want to say to you is I can go on about this stuff. I can go on about anything for ages. It's plain. Here on Knackers and the Vag, Vag, Vag. Chelsea's not here. Still she can speak. Still she lives and apparently somehow she flourishes. And many Australians that I would not expect to not just protect but actually meaningfully advance the rights of a whistleblower, a person who speaks freely about freedom of speech. This is freedom of speech for somebody who wants to talk about freedom of, of speech, right? And we're all saying, well, you know, the, 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 the right turds are saying, oh, you know, the left is just against freedom of speech. But this is, okay, for me, kind of hopeful, right? Chelsea still exists. We know she's well. We know she's very resilient. And we know she's done, perhaps in collaboration with WikiLeaks, well, not collaboration, anonymously, wonderful things. And she's well and she's here and she lives and she speaks so well. And after that kind of trauma, how is that even possible? But it is. And at this point, I'm sinking a little into sentiment and I'm finding inspiration from a figure that is far more historic than John McCain, right? And we know that she's not permitted in here and so we can see the clear opposition to freedom of speech. And that's a good sign 
it's the sign that we can still see it and the sign that people I know who have hated WikiLeaks are supporting Chelsea Manning and supporting our need to know what arms manufacturers are doing with the assistance of people, including John McCain. So we can see it. We can see this instant of power very clearly, as clearly as we could see the unnecessary deaths of Iraqi civilians. So I think Chelsea's revealed something. It'd be fucking lovely if she could come here. And, I mean, it's so fun that she gets to go to New Zealand. But, I mean, it's just such an enormous fuck you to the idiocy of Australia. But the fact that we can still see the censorship and we don't often see that, you know, things like the Hillary Clinton papering over with the aid of diversity or the royal family papering over what it means with the aid of diversity and and things like that. So people have got more complex ways, but that there can still be threats to dominant order, that there can still be censorship. I know it sounds weird, but it's a positive thing. And um, yes, all right, so I've got sentimental. Thank you very much, knackers. Chelsea Manning, you are a hero. John McCain isn't free Julian Assange. doesn't matter whether you like the guy or not. The fact that uh, Chelsea Manning happens to be an absolute doll doesn't hurt a bit. But it doesn't matter, does it? It's about the way that power moves. And it's about the way you respond to it. So what's your part of the the double movement dance going to be? Are you going to become a fascist? I doubt it. Are you going to bury yourself in joy? Or are you just going to acknowledge those moments of contentment where you can take them and say, oh, that was nice. I feel a bit better. But nothing changed. How do I change things? How do I change ideas? Pretty hard. You just don't go and tell someone to change their mind and behave better and expect it to work not without state apparatus or a gun, right? So what do you do? Have a think, have an act, form your ideas without recourse to the worst person you can imagine. Don't base your politics on everything that's not Trump because you get to the point where you think the murderer, John McCain, is a hero of American liberal democracy or that the USA could have ever been made without enslaved labour, blah, 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 me and the bear, signing off. That wasn't a peppy breakfast radio show. 